I will wait. I will wait. You guys do whatever you need to do. All right. Well, we are so excited to be here with us tonight. Thank you for being here. And uh, pray you've had a great day, a great week so far. Uh, I want to start off with just a couple announcements, and then we'll get into our devotion for this evening. Uh, first thing, Wednesday before we break for Christmas and meet uh, whatever that first Wednesday of January is. I forget the number, but, um, but that's when we'll start back up again. So next week, last Wednesday night, that's also when the Word of Life group has their Christmas party. So that's going on. So then we'll break for Christmas, come back in January. In here, what we're going to do, and this wasn't really, I didn't intentionally do this with that, but it works out really well. Um, we are going to have a little bit of food and kind of a little Christmas celebration in here, I guess. So next week, as you guys remember, we did this for like Cinco de Mayo, uh, brought in some stuff and everything. So next week, if you would like to bring in any kind of a, it can be a, a dish, a snack, a dessert, whatever, um, bring that in next week. And then you guys will take time, we'll take time in service to enjoy that kind of like we did back with Cinco de Mayo. If you'd like to bring something uh, and you want to let someone know, you can let either William know or Kelsey, who's in nursery. Um, and so they can let you know that's fine, but you can bring whatever. You really don't have to have permission. Just bring whatever. You'll be, you'll be good to go. Um, also, uh, we did have somebody that asked if we could do a ugly Christmas sweater Sunday. And so we're not doing an ugly Christmas sweater Sunday. However, uh, the second best thing to that is next Wednesday, uh, this person wanted to know if we can turn it into like an ugly Christmas sweater Wednesday night. So if you have an ugly Christmas sweater and you want to wear that, do that next Wednesday. All good. If you don't have one, no worries. Don't worry about buying one. Um, of course, now they actually sell them, right? Like you go to like Kohl's and you can buy, like I just had to get them at like Goodwill or wherever. So, um, but if you'd like to do that, you can, you don't have to, but that'll be next Wednesday night. All right. Same time, seven o'clock and so on. And then uh, at the end of that, when we go to prayer, uh, it'll just be a prayer time together in here. Okay, so a little bit shorter prayer, more time for food and fellowship, devotion, prayer time, and then you guys can fellowship some more. All right. So that's going on next week. Don't forget about that. Uh, Word of Life Christmas party. I believe they're wearing PJs, if I remember right. And so uh, just make note of that. If you have a child or grandchild in there, they can wear their PJs. Um, also, uh, as far as announcements go, just want to let you guys know, Word of Life store, obviously we're still always looking for stuff for that. Um, some weeks they get cleaned out. I mean, Sandra put out a bunch of stuff for like Christmas presents uh, tonight. And uh, there was a lot of stuff already gone from the last couple of weeks. And so always looking for things with that. If you'd like to give an actual toy donation, you can do that. Uh, we are looking for brand new toy items. Um, this would be for pre-K through sixth grade uh, type toys, boy and girl toys. Um, you don't have to spend a lot. It can be, they can be kind of inexpensive toys as well. Small things, craft things, all kinds of stuff like that is always good. If you have questions, you can see Sandra after service. Uh, also, financially, you can donate if you'd like to donate towards that as well, and then she would just go buy toys as they need. Speaking of Word of Life and children's ministry, we are looking for uh, junior church uh, helpers and workers, also nursery workers. And so if you're interested in working in our children's ministry, whether it be a nursery or junior church, uh, you can go to the Welcome Center and you can find a handout like this. And it has on the bottom the service times. So you just put your name and phone number on there. There's one right next to it that should be for like more junior church 
uh, serving. So if you'd like to do that, you can. Um, and we are looking for right now uh, a gentleman to help in a fourth through sixth grade junior church. Um, we Right now, our junior church is first through sixth grade. And we have a gentleman that's willing to uh, split that class off and be the lead teacher. Um, but we need one more guy to help serve in there with him. And so if you're interested in that, definitely either fill out the form at the Welcome Center, give that back to me or Kelsey tonight, or just come talk to me. We can go forward from there. Uh, also, I want to let you know, just a reminder, uh, Salvation Army bell ringing. Uh, we still have that one spot on Saturday left. I believe it's the four, it might be the two to four or the four to six spot. I can't remember which one, but two to four. Okay, so the two to four spot is the only spot open where we need two ringers. There's one spot where we have one gentleman who signed up, so we can use another guy there to ring with him. That's Friday, and I believe that is the, one of the morning spots. So you go to the Welcome Center, check that out. Uh, again, that's going to be the 15th and the 16th for that, all right? Right there at the Kroger in MLA City. Ladies' event is coming up on uh, December 16th at 11 a.m. Uh, wear your PJs. going to be a breakfast-style meal. Uh, the cost is $10. Children 12 and under are free. And again, Avi will be speaking for that, so you don't want to miss out on that. Um, also, Christmas Eve service is coming up. Don't forget about that. And then also with around that time, we're also doing the... Um, uh, the refuge, uh, working with the refuge to help house the homeless of Lapeer County for that week from the 24th through that week. Uh, all kinds of opportunities to serve with that. You can see the Welcome Center, the sign-up sheets are back in the Welcome Center for tonight. They'll be back out on a little table on Sunday. And then if you have any questions, you can actually see Marshall. He can give you some more information about that as well, even tonight. All right. So that's a lot of the announcements going on. Does anyone have any questions about any upcoming event, activity, anything like that that I can answer? No? All right. So let's go ahead and open in prayer, and then we'll dive into our devotion tonight. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that we can gather and worship you, Lord. We pray that we would be just attentive to your word, attentive to what you have for us, Lord, that we would be desiring to, to grow in our walk with Christ, to grow in our, um, Lord, just our desire to, to know you more. And so, Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for these that are gathered together, Lord. We pray that you will be glorified in all that is said and done. Give us wisdom and understanding. Uh, and, Lord, we do lift up all of these events, these activities. Uh, Lord, we think about everything going on in the coming weeks. Uh, Father, we think about the children's musical this Sunday. Uh, Lord, how excited we are for that. And so we pray, Lord, that you would just continue to encourage those uh, children as they uh, remember and, and try to rehearse their lines and the music and everything that went into uh, this performance. And we pray that you would help them in all of that. Lord, thank you for the leaders and volunteers that have worked for weeks and weeks with these uh, young people, not only just helping them to learn this play and their lines and all of that, Lord, but to walk with them through the true meaning of Christmas, to walk with them through Scripture, and that they will understand... Uh, that this isn't about just gifts under a tree. It's about the gift of grace, which was given in the person of Christ. And so, Father, again, we thank you for all that's gone into this. We pray, Lord, for Sunday. We know we'll have family and friends that will be visiting that are um, not followers of Christ, that don't know you. And so we pray that as only you can, by the working of your spirit, not do anything we do, any form of manipulation or anything like that, that we would try to create something but, Lord, that you, by the working of your Holy Spirit, through the preaching of your word, would draw them to repentance and they would repent of their sins and trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. And so, Father, would you do that work? And I pray for, for those individuals that will be in our midst. You'll begin to work on their hearts now. 
and prepare them for what's uh, ahead on Sunday. And so, Father, again, we thank you for this time of year. We pray that you would be glorified again in all that goes in through all these services, activities, events. And, Lord, we pray for, for just this month in so many churches. There's so many churches in our county that people will walk into the doors for the very first time. And, Lord, uh, when they do that, they're going to be encountered with the gospel, we pray. And I just pray that whether it's a, a small church or a big church or, or whatever, Lord, I just pray that if the gospel is preached, that you would grow the church in Lapeer County. Uh, that we would see revival this month in our churches. And, uh, Lord, we just pray that you would do that work. And, again, not through us creating something or making something happen, but by your spirit. And so, Father, again, we thank you for all that you continue to do in our midst, and we'll give you all the praise and glory we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So tonight, because of things being a little bit different next week, um, and really kind of where the Lord was leading, uh, we are going to actually take a little bit of a pause from Revelation. So I know some of you are like, oh, I know. But um, I pray this will still be a blessing to you. I hope it will. Um, obviously, we're in God's word, so it will always be a blessing. Um, but we had just finished. Um, we kind of got right to the end of chapter 7, beginning of chapter 8. And so we will pick that up when we come back from break. And so if you were not with us through any of those studies and you would like to kind of catch up over break, um, we, I have all the notes, all of my notes. If you send me a message or ask me tonight, and, and I'll try to make a note of it, um, I can either send you a digital copy of all of my notes and you'll just have that. Or if you would rather have it in print, um, I can just print off all of them, stick them in a, a folder or staple them together and give them to you. Um, that way you can kind of maybe go over all that through the break. And then you'll be ready to go in January. So, or if you've been with us the whole time and you just want some notes to catch up on, that's great too. So, um, but tonight you can open up to John chapter 15. So John chapter 15, we're going to turn there. We're going to turn there. And we're going to read in just a moment. So, so tonight I want to kind of talk about and dive into a short devotion uh, kind of through an area of the Christian life that was really laid on my heart uh, and mind this week. Um, really kind of honestly, just even this morning, it was reaffirmed again, uh, just going in a different direction. And uh, it is the area of godliness, godliness in our lives. Um, what is it and how do we live godly as followers of Christ? Um, so the first thing we have to understand before we even get to John fifteen eleven, is that we have all fallen short, right? Is there anyone perfect? No, the only perfect man was Jesus Christ, right? We've all fallen short. And so none of us, we have to kind of start here. None of us can live godly lives apart from the love and grace of God through salvation. It is only through the gospel of Christ that we can even begin to think about living godly lives. Now, this is also not saying that I am the example of a godly life, that I've figured it all out, that I've got it all figured out. Um, I just kind of really want to speak to you, uh, kind of sharing a different take on this area. Um, honestly, I was just listening to various things the last couple of days and this morning, even again, like I was saying, it was reaffirmed through uh, a small clip that I heard by uh, a preacher named Paul Washer. Uh, some of you might be familiar with Paul Washer. He's pretty well known. Um, he's not local. I mean, we're talking, this is, you know, international. He speaks all over. Um, he's very famous for a talk that he did in front of a youth conference one time. And this was years and years ago. He's a very um, solid Bible preacher. Um, very, very 
um, direct. Uh, he does not hold back. Uh, he tells it like it is, and it's awesome. Um, but he spoke in front of a youth conference, and he was talking about Christians that say one thing, and yet, like, kind of live in sin, and they kind of really think, well, it's okay, I go to church so I can do whatever I want the rest of the week. That kind of mindset. And he was kind of speaking to that, that, you know, a lot of, a lot of these teenagers and, and Christians in general in America today, you know, they kind of gloss over sin or they think it's not a big deal because, well, you know, on the surface, I'm good with my going to church and I looked apart and blah, blah, blah. So he was going on about this and he was talking about this, but he wasn't saying it so much like to them. He was just kind of setting up a scenario like people like this. And he starts describing it. Well, as he gets to a point of making his kind of emphasis, the audience starts applauding. Because they're like, you know, yes, amen. That's that, you know what, that needs to change, you know. And I, I love this moment because this happens in church, not in so much our church, but over churches, right? Like the preacher will be preaching and you'll see people nodding their heads and they go out and they never change, right? But they, that was good. Oh, that was, mm, yeah, get them, preacher, you know. And what we really mean is, I'm glad so and so behind me is hearing this message because they really need to, I'm not that bad, they really need to change. So as he's preaching this, he stops. And they're applauding, and then all of a sudden the applause stops. And I don't know how many years ago this was, but it's kind of infamous online, I guess, if you really look it up. But he stopped and he said, I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. And it just goes dead silent. I mean, just, you could hear a pin drop. And so that clip, that line is kind of, he's known kind of, that kind of made him a little more known because it was so direct. And I absolutely love that he said it. Because I think so often, if you're like me, I can read something God's word and go, oh, that's, that's hard. That's a hard truth. That, mm, amen. Amen. And then we close the book and we go about our day, right? And so sometimes I think we've confused it that we think if I hear hard teaching and I hear hard preaching, that somehow I'm more spiritual than those that don't. But that's not really true. Yes, we should hear teaching that challenges us and convicts us from God's word. But if we never apply what the teaching is drawing us to apply, we've really deceived ourselves like James says, right? If you hear the word, but you don't do the word, you're deceiving yourself. And so this uh, a little clip from Paul Washer that I heard again this morning just reaffirmed kind of where we're going to go. And so I'll kind of share a little bit of what he pointed out in just a moment. But I want to kind of set the stage for talking about what is godliness. And so let's look at a familiar passage and walk this out a little bit tonight. John chapter 15 and verse 11. Now, the beginning of John chapter 15, verses 1 through 10, what's that talking about? What is Jesus talking about in, in 15, 1 through 10? Summary for me. What's he kind of talking about? Okay, the vine and the branches. And what's the point of that? That's a kind of an illustration, right? What's the point of that? Connection. Okay, our connection to Christ, right? Who's, who's the vine in that story? Who's the vine? Jesus. Who are the branches? We are. Who's the gardener, the one that oversees everything? God. And where's the Holy Spirit represented? This always used to kind of drive me a little crazy. I'm like, God the Father, God the Son, where's the Holy Spirit? You know when it talks about that he prunes us? I tend to think that's the Spirit. I think the Spirit's the one that's doing the pruning. Because if you've ever been pruned, you know what that's like, right? Sometimes it feels fine. Sometimes it doesn't feel so good, okay? But what's the point of the pruning? To produce more fruit, right? Which is the ultimate goal. We would produce fruit, more fruit, much more fruit. That's kind of the process. And then why do we produce this fruit? Why, why is it that this fruit needs to be produced? 
And we know this fruit is the fruit of the Spirit, right, as an example. It's also people coming to Christ, us sharing our faith. That's fruit that's produced through our lives. So there's different examples of fruit. But why is this fruit needing to be produced in the life of the believer? Why should we even be concerned about that? What's that, Andy? Yeah, shows evidence of our faith, right? It shows our growth and maturity. Yes, to glorify God is number one. And number two is found actually in verse 11. So it says, these things, what things? What I just wrote to you. Have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy, what? Might be full. So why is it so important that we abide in Christ, the branch abiding in the vine, the fruits being produced, we're being pruned, we're being trimmed back, kind of refined. Why is that so important? So God is glorified, and so the joy that is in Christ remains in us. And not just some joy, not minor joy, but what kind of joy? Overwhelming fullness of joy. And we love that part of the passage. We love that, that idea that we can just abide in Christ and, and we can have this fruit produced and we have joy and we glorify God. But we can't stop there because this passage continues. And a lot of times we'll stop at verse 10 and we'll go, okay, produce fruit. But we don't really look at how directly Jesus says that fruit needs to be produced. So he goes on to say this in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So pause, personal application time. Have you loved others this week the way Jesus loves you? If you're being honest, you'd say sometimes, yes. Mostly we say what? Some people, yes. Some people, no. Right? Because we like to pick and choose who we love like Jesus. Right? Usually it's the people we agree with, like-minded, like faith, right? Somebody that hasn't betrayed us, hasn't hurt us. But if we're really loving like Jesus loves... We actually love our enemies the same way we love our friends because he loves both, right? Jeff. Right. So where does that, how, why does he say then, love one another as I have loved you? How can I do that then if I can't do it in my own strength? Verses 1 through 10, right? If I'm abiding in him and his words abiding in me, what will happen? I will obey that commandment. Because it's not me doing it. Like Jeff said, I don't have the human capacity in my flesh to love this way. But through abiding in Christ and his word abiding in me, I'm his disciple. That's what Jesus says. I'm a follower. So that love will be produced through me. I, I, I hear people talk about this passage and they'll go, man, what kind of fruit is he talking about? Right? And I just said it. The fruit of the spirit's an example. Fruit of witnessing and somebody coming to Christ is an example. What is the direct fruit that Jesus connects to one through 10 love, right? Love one other. What's the first evidence of the fruit of the spirit love. So we don't have to scratch our heads and go, man, I just don't know what that fruit that's being produced is. Yeah, we do. It's here's the commandment. Love one another. Verse 13, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, comma, now, this is the part we don't really want to emphasize. You are my friends, comma, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what his Lord does. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. So, I want to unpack this a little bit tonight. What is godliness? 
Well, the first thing we have to ask is, does godliness have to do with obeying laws and commands of God? And the answer is yes. And here's what I mean about that. When we obey the commands and laws of God that he lays forth in Christ, and we're going to unpack that too, so don't get too far ahead of me. I know what some of you are thinking. We're going to get there. Don't worry. But we must understand Jesus said, not John says, not Baptist Church says, not whoever says. Jesus says, if you are my friends, then comma, you'll do whatever I command you. So when we talk about godliness, it is connected to obeying the commands of God. We express our desire to live godly through obedience. In Christ, we express our desire to live godly through obedience. However, in our evangelical church culture, in our greater church culture, in our culture as a whole, any mention of obedience is labeled as what? Hate speech? Okay, in the the greater culture, but think more church culture. Legalism. If you even hint that we're supposed to actually obey the words of God, then that's, that's legalism. That's law. That's, that's not grace. And we'll almost like hear preachers read a passage like verse 14 and then instantly try to defend it away. Almost like they're doing PR work for Jesus. Let me, that really can't be what Jesus meant. Let me clean up what Jesus really said there. Listen, Jesus doesn't need us to do PR for him. He doesn't need us to make him more palatable to people. Jesus was great at preaching the truth and taking giant crowds and making them really small. You ever, ever really go through the Gospels and read all the times that Jesus took a great multitude and purposely said things that led them to get small? He would say to a huge crowd, look at all these followers. In today's church culture, you'd see thousands of people coming to your church. You'd be like, this is awesome. And then pastors and elders and, and people get behind scenes and they go, okay, we got all these people coming. We can't say anything that will make them not want to come back because we need them and we need their tithe. I'm just being real with you. This happens in churches. And then, what's that? Right. Yes. Yep. We can't do anything that would offend them or cause them not want to come back. What did Jesus say to that crowd? You want to be my follower? Awesome. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they all went, that's nasty. I'm out. And they left. Even Peter says what? The disciples say, these are hard sayings. Who could possibly understand this? He says it to Jesus. You know what Peter was saying? Jesus, maybe we should tone it down a bit. Maybe we should rearrange and rebrand and kind of present this differently. But Jesus wasn't interested in gathering a crowd. And by the way, people will say, well, yeah, but Jesus, you know, he he drew sinners to him. And sinners invited him over to their houses. Of course they did. But when Jesus got there, he didn't sit down with them and say, hey, let me sin with you. He didn't sit down and say, let's not talk about that sin. He said, no, 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 I'm calling you to repentance. This is why all throughout scripture, when you see him going to these dinners and these things, here comes the woman with the alabaster box. Here comes the tax collector that says, hey, whatever I took, I'm going to repay seven times. Why? That's repentance. I've heard people say this before. They'll say, well, Jesus is just into hanging out with sinners. Yeah, but he doesn't just hang out with them. I heard somebody ask a pastor one time in this Q&A, said, hey, you know, uh, we've got a family Christmas or a family Thanksgiving, whatever it was. And this is a few years ago. And in this setting, it was like a big, massive Q&A conference thing. And they asked this very famous pastor, 
and said, well, this situation is going on in my home life where my family member is involved in a relationship with someone that we don't agree with. And we don't really want to go. But if we don't go, our family is telling us that's not Christian because we're not showing love. But we don't want to go and condone it. So what do we do? And I love what the pastor said. The pastor said, oh, no, you can go. And when you get there, tell them, okay, we're going to be exactly like Jesus. Do you want us to be like Jesus? And when the family says, yes, please be like Jesus, he said, then you go over to your loved one and confront them with their sin. And you don't do it arrogantly or cocky or you do it humbly, but you confront the sin. And the pastor asked this question, do you think if Jesus went to that Christmas party, he would not bring it up? What was the first thing he told the woman at the well? Go get your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. Well, you've answered truthfully. And in fact, the X number of guys that you've been with, not your husband. Do you know what Jesus did? He confronted her with her sin, but he did it in a way that was gracious and honest and loving. And she responded in truth. And as a result of that conversation, what happened? She came to Christ and told the whole community about Jesus. And so again, when we talk about the idea of obedience, we can't just go to instantly legalism. Because Jesus asks us, tells us, commands us to obey. So while the message of grace is vital to understand and apply in our Christian lives, 1,000%, in some respects, in an effort to flee any and all signs of possible legalism, the church, meaning as a whole in America today, has also abandoned any consideration and application of obedience. We have neglected the balance that Scripture lays forth of position-driven obedience. Now, what do I mean by position-driven obedience? What I mean is that we obey from a position of sonship, not in pursuit of it. So we obey from a position, identity of sonship, sons and daughters of God in Christ. I'm obeying from that position. I'm not obeying to gain that position in Christ. I'm not trying to earn or merit that position in Christ through my obedience. No, no, no. I already have that. And we'll unpack that again in just a moment. The Bible is full of commands, and Jesus says to obey them. Again, we do not obey to be accepted. We obey because we are accepted. Another example, uh, Matthew chapter 28. Let's turn there quickly. Once somebody's there, uh, I'll have you read Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So once somebody's there, let me know you're there. If you want to read Matthew 28, 18 through 20. 20. Who's got it? Rick? Awesome. Thank you, sir. Awesome. Thank you, sir. So you guys see there in verse 19, or verse 20, rather, he says, teach them to observe. Now, that word observe, if you look at the literal meaning, it actually means a couple things. It means to guard, it means to undergo, and it means to keep. So to keep, to guard something, or to undergo something, meaning you're taking something on. It is actually used the most as the form of the word keep in the King James translation. It's actually used 57 times. That original word is used 57 times, and it means keep in all of those examples. So Jesus says to his disciples, as they're going out to his apostles to start this thing called the church, he says, I want you to go teach them 
to keep all the things I've commanded you, to obey all the things I've commanded you. Now, something that was already said that Jeff made a point of is that we can't do that naturally, right? But that's why that's in verse 20 and not verse 19. Because in verse 19, we find the avenue to which we can fulfill verse 20. So what does verse 19 says? Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Now, we would say that first teaching is sharing the gospel, evangelism. Then it says once they are coming to Christ, you've taught them, they've received Christ. Now what do we do? We lead them to baptism, which what a joy. We were able to celebrate with that a couple weeks ago and see people come to Christ. Such a cool moment. I have to share this real quick. I was at the corner store down here, and someone that attends the church just happened to be in the store and kind of bumped, like almost literally bumped into me. And uh, we got talking a little bit, and we're standing in line waiting to check out. And he said, hey, he said, uh, that baptism Sunday thing you guys did a couple weeks ago, he's like, when's the next one? And I said, well, we really don't plan them. It's kind of more when somebody comes to me and says, hey, I'd like to be baptized. Then we set a date with that person or that family. Then we plan around that. And we just announce it. And whoever wants to get baptized, we invite them to come be a part of it. He goes, oh. He's like, well, I, I really, I think I need to do that. So uh, when can we do that? And I was just like, that's amazing. So I, I think January 21st is the date we picked. Um, just because before Christmas would be a little tough. Um, obviously, we got a little bit going on Sunday, so we can't, you can't even really see the baptismal. Um, so, but I'm, I'm super stoked about all this. It just looks great, but it's coming together. So, but I'm so excited about that. Like this gentleman, just from seeing, and I asked him, I said, well, is this kind of a new decision? He said, well, it's something I know the Lord wanted me to do for a long time. And just reading through scripture and sitting under the preaching of God's word and then seeing it happen again. He's like, I just felt so convicted. I, I need to do this. And so how amazing is that? Like God is just moving in such awesome ways. And, and I don't, he may be the only one that's baptized on that Sunday. And that's awesome. Like it could be one person or a hundred people. It's all good either way. So Jesus says that's part of discipleship. We lead them to Christ. We lead them into baptism. We baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Then it says, teaching them to observe all things. That's discipleship. That's leading people to be more devoted followers of Christ. And so first they're saved. First they're baptized. Now obedience so again, we have to notice that, that verse 20 comes after verse 19 when we come to faith and are baptized. It's a key thing we have to understand. Obedience is not required for salvation. Because we, as was said, we can't. If I could obey God's law without Christ, I don't need Christ. So obedience is not a prerequisite for salvation. The only prerequisite for salvation is repentance and faith. I believe, I put my faith in Christ, and I repent of my sins. Biblically, repentance and faith are the only prerequisites to come to Christ. Now, in Christ, now I have this Holy Spirit-driven desire to obey and to follow after the commands. Through the grace of God in the gospel, when we are unable to be obedient, Christ's sinless, obedient life was credited to us. So when I come to Christ, the only reason I'm considered valuable and worthy in Christ to be forgiven of my sins is because the sinless life of Christ was credited or imputed or granted to me, gifted to me. And now when I die and leave this world and stand before God, I'm not held accountable for my sins because that's all under the blood and all God sees is the sinlessness of Christ. And so that obedience that I could not produce before salvation, I still don't earn salvation by being obedient today, by being godly today. But in Christ, why then should we desire godliness? Well, we desire to obey 
and submit to his will to honor him. Right? We just want to honor our God, honor our Savior, just lift him up. We, we want to obey and submit to his will so that we can know him more. We want to know him and the one who loved us so much that he gave us grace, right? Unending, overwhelming, life-changing love that was given to us. I want to know more about that God. I want to know more about that Savior. I want to know more about him and how I can please him with my life as a reflection and a thankfulness. Not so that I'll get more of him or get more favor or more grace. We can't. Do you realize the Bible says that when you came to Christ and received Christ as your Savior, you were given the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of your salvation in that moment. You are 100% a son and daughter of God. Nothing you do takes that away, and nothing you do gives you more of that. It's just settled. So we obey, again, from a position of sonship. I'm not trying to earn anything, but again, we can't swing that pendulum the other way. Because I've met people, you've met people, that it's almost like they just throw the grace card out there, you know? I can do whatever I want because grace, I can live how I want grace. And, and the Bible's pretty clear about this. Romans six has something to say about that. Do we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And I had a gentleman in the doorway of a ch- this church years ago, literally basically tell me God does not see when I sin. So it doesn't really matter. Their viewpoint was this, since all my sins forgiven, it's all under the blood then I can do whatever and it's not even really sinful because it's all under the cross. It's all under the blood. And do you see how such a good thing, the gospel, a powerful truth that yes, praise God, all of our sin is under the blood. I met a, a couple that were talking one time and we were talking about something and they said, I said something about all our sins forgiven. And they said, well, except for the ones we haven't confessed yet. And I had to stop them and say, well, what do you mean? And they went to 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, I said, yes, that's about a relationship. That's about constantly coming and repenting. We're going to talk about that actually on Sunday night. And this person thought, literally thought, I'm fully saved. But if I sin, a bitter thought, an angry word, a lustful thought, and I die in a car accident 10 minutes later, but I didn't have a chance to say, Lord, I'm sorry for that. They believe, this is coming from a non-Catholic, normal church background. They believed I have to give an account for that one sin. So they're going to stand before God and go, sorry, here, I need to pay for that one sin. And I asked this person, I said, well, how do we pay for one sin? The Bible says for the wages of sin is death, separation from God. It's not one sin. It's you pay for all of it or you don't pay for any of it. And this person has that in their mind. I got to confess this one sin. No, no, no. All of our sin is forgiven. Sin you haven't committed yet is already forgiven. It has to be because otherwise the cross is not sufficient. Right? Right. Sins of omission that we didn't even know were sins when we did them. Or we didn't know they were sinful. Maybe now we do, but we didn't know then. And so again, I've had people tell me, you can't tell people that. You can't tell people their future sins forgiven because then they'll just go on sinning. Well, God forbid. But I want to know, I want you to know and have a, a trust in the power of God that your sin is forgiven. All of it. Past, present, future. Sin. Covered. But to have an attitude and a position of the heart to say, it doesn't matter. That's where I would seriously challenge that person to ask, do you really believe? Have you really trusted Christ? If you can sin without conviction, that would concern me. And I think it should concern all of us. And so why do we obey? Because we want to honor him, want to know more about him. We want to please him and live for him. And this kind of brings us to our, our main point. When we talk about godliness, 
godliness is more than just finding a command and following it. So yes, obedience is ref- or, or, or godliness is reflected in obedience, but godliness is more than that. If we approach the Christian life as simply trying to be good and perform without a deeper motivation, we will check the box but not live godly. And I mentioned earlier the message clip I heard from Paul Washer, and so I give him all the credit for this. He said this, and I absolutely love this. He said this. He said, to live godly, we must first look to Godwardness. Now, I don't think that's a word because my Microsoft Office underlined it as like red. Like, that's not a word. What are you doing? But I absolutely love this. To live godly, we must first look to Godwardness. So Godwardness. We're looking to Godwardness. Our desire is to let our lives reflect a Godwardness in our attitudes, words, and actions. So we pose the question. What becomes clear when we read and study Scripture? It's a Godwardness. All of scripture does what? Points us to him, directs us to him. Our thoughts, our intentions, our actions are all driven to, to be Godward and to think that way. The scripture is full of many, many stories. Some of you have great Bible stories. You love certain stories by certain characters. And we said this Sunday night and it's true still. The hero of those stories is not the person in the story. It is the Lord. The Lord is the hero of every story, not the men and women that God uses. Although they are important, I'm not discounting David. I'm not discounting these different amazing men and women that were used by God to do great things. We should honor them and and reflect on that and be thankful for their example. But they're not the hero of the story. David's not the hero of David and Goliath. God is the hero of David and Goliath. And by the way, that is not a picture of your life. That is not an example that we go, well, I got my giants and David had his giants and David overcame his giants and I can overcome my giant. That is not the point of that story so that you can go off thinking you can beat any giant. The point of David and Goliath is so clear. It's in the, it's in the text. It's a missionary story. It was, there's one God and it's our God and you're not going to mock our God because he is God. And David said, so that all the nations would know he is Lord. It's a missionary story story. So who's the hero? The God of the story, God himself. And so again, when we talk about reading scripture, we interject ourselves so many times and think, well, I'm like this and I'm like that. And I can be like this person. No, 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 no. If the person's a horrible, wretched failure hiding in the corner, that's us. The hero that's overcoming, that's Jesus. Okay. And I've always told people, people say, well, it's like David and Goliath, and I'm like David, and that's, no, no, no. You're the Israelite army hiding over there behind the rocks and hiding in the caves, terrified. That's you. God is represented through Christ, or through David, as a form of Christ. And so, again, we see that and understand that. So, when we read the word, where does it point us? Godward. When we pray, what does prayer do? It points us Godward. When we have our hope in Christ and we see a fallen world and we think about the hope we have in salvation, what does that hope drive us to? It's a Godward hope. It's a Godward faith, right? It's this idea that we pursue godliness by pursuing Godwardness, that we just direct everything to him. This pursuit will lead to godliness in our lives. Not perfectly. We don't do this perfectly. But a growing and mature Christian will continue to be Godward. And why? Again, so that we don't please self, we please him. We honor him. And so, again, I wanted to kind of take a little bit of a break from Revelation and kind of walk through this with you guys tonight. 
um, just really been on my heart and mind and just so cool that the Lord kind of opened the door to this, even this morning, kind of in my own personal study time. And um, it's just amazing how God leads that way. And he does that for you too. I know when you're in his word and praying and he starts to just kind of line things up. But I pray that we will live Godward, not selfish, not for the culture, not to please anyone, but to honor him and to direct towards him. And so again, godliness is reflected in Godwardness. And I think that can really help us in our everyday Christian life. So any questions, comments, or thoughts before we pray and then dismiss to prayer? Comments, questions, or thoughts? Oh, amen. Amen. I'm glad that was an encouragement to you. Praise the Lord. No, and that's when I heard that this morning from Paul Washer. I don't listen to him a whole lot because every time I do, I'm like, that hurt. That one got me. Um, but, it, I mean, he's solid, though. I encourage it. But, um, and him and I may not agree on everything, but pretty solid guy. But, yeah, it's just uh, it's a good, good reminder for all of us, for sure. Julie. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. You can love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. No, amen. And, you know, I'm always amazed when, when you look at a worldview or a position that doesn't have a biblical worldview or a Christ-centered worldview, um, maybe even atheistic worldview, and they'll say things like, well, we should love others, and we should love our neighbors. I mean, I've heard atheists say we should love our neighbors, and I always time out, where'd you get that from? And they'll say, well, we just should. Right, I totally agree we should. Where'd you get it from? Because you didn't get that from your worldview, you got that from my worldview. Like, you stole that from our worldview. Like, that's, that's ours. You can't. What are you talking about? You can't do that. But again, isn't it amazing how God created us in his image? And we know these things, right? We know these things. Even if we don't know God, we have a knowledge of these things. But what does Romans 1 say? That we know the truth, but we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And so somebody that doesn't know Christ, the problem is not they don't know enough. The problem is that they're rejecting and suppressing what they know to be true. There is a God. His power and his majesty is evident from creation. We can see it, and they reject that and want to make themselves God. So again, we try to live these things out. We can't do it apart from Christ, right? We need him in all of that. Any other comments, questions, or thoughts before we dismiss? All right. Well, let's do this. So we'll pray. And then we'll let you guys be dismissed. And so those that are either new with us or it's been a while, um, what we do is we'll pray together for just a moment. Then we'll d- split up. Uh, anyone that would like to join us, we have the men go down the hallway and pray together. The ladies will go to the other end um, in the um, crying room, nursing room, right? I think that's where you guys are meeting. Yeah, okay. So last room on the right, and they'll spend some time in prayer. We'll spend some time in prayer um, just together, sharing requests and all those kind of things. If you would like to join us, you're welcome to. You don't. If you join us, you don't have to pray out loud. You don't have to say anything. You can just join us and pray. Um, If you don't want to join us, that's totally fine too. You're welcome to hang out here in the lobby or here in the fellowship or in the auditorium. And then we'll finish up about 8.15, which is when the kids are done. All right, so let's pray. And we'll let you guys be dismissed to prayer. Father, we thank you for tonight. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we find therein. And Lord, I know that there are many, many churches and places where legalism is preached, where it's a very much a 
do this to gain this type mentality. It's performance-driven. It's outward-focused. And Lord, it destroys lives. It destroys people's faith. It can really cause a lot of issues, Lord, and, and can do damage for, for people for years to come. And so, Lord, we understand that that's out there in the church. It's always been. We've always wanted to do something to earn it, so therefore we can get the glory for it. But, Lord, I pray that while that is true, that that's out there, I pray that we would realize that obedience, elevation of your holiness, recognizing that you call us to something more, is not legalism. If I know and we know that we are saved apart from our works, that it's only by grace through faith that we come to Christ and that we're redeemed, we're made new. If I know that I do not do anything to add to my salvation, then when we talk about obedience, it's not to gain more of you. It's to live out what I already have in Christ. And why would we want to do that? Well, Lord, to honor you, to please you, to glorify you to submit to your will that you might use us in your service to others coming to Christ and your will being done in this world. And so, Lord, again, we thank you for your love and grace. We pray you'd give us your wisdom in all these things. Help us, Lord, to be obedient sons and daughters, not perfect, because, Lord, no one is. We've all stumbled. We all fall short. We fell short before salvation. We fall and stumble during our walk with you, Lord. But, Father, we know that there's grace to pick us up, to make us new, to restore us, and to set our feet upon a new way that we might set our eyes upon you. And so, Lord, again, may you be glorified in all that's been said and done. And I pray again, Lord, you be with our time of prayer together. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, you guys are dismissed to prayer. Again, ladies are down the hallway, last door on the right. Guys will be down most likely in the library. We'll see if they're done with that one room yet. <laughs>